Mike. Lauren. Mike, if you had to choose just one video subscription service to subscribe to, only one, which one would it be? Ooh, I want to say Criterion Channel because I want to be hip. But if I'm being honest, I would have to say HBO Max because it's the one that I spend the most time in. What, what is the Criterion Channel? The, the Criterion Channel is the Criterion Collection streaming. It's like art films and international features and historical films and anything that deserves preservation for art's sake. This is the most snack fight you've ever snack fighted. It's definitely like Black Beret and Clove Cigarettes, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> HBO Max is the one that I that I spend the most time in. Uh, mm -hmm. What about you? Well, I feel like we're almost at the point where the answer is just cable because then I could access things like HBO and Showtime and live sports all in the same package. But at this point, we're supposed to be going a la carte. And if I had to choose just one, it's probably also HBO Max. <laughs> when did it all get so complicated? You know, this is a good question. And it's I think it's not just a matter of how much video we stream, but it's how we're streaming it. So let's talk about this. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by some members of our fabulous culture desk at Wired. That includes senior editor Angela Watercutter, who joins us from New York, and senior writer Kate Nibbs, who's joining us from Chicago. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. Thank you. It's great to have you both on. Okay, so today we're talking about TV. TV? Streaming? What should we call it? TV. Let's call it TV. So TV has, since its existence, been something of a lean back experience, right? Even if you're tuning in to watch something that isn't particularly relaxing, like the news, the idea is that you would turn on, sit back, and tune out. But now we have this paradox of choice, right? It started with cables, gazillion channels, and then individual video streaming apps started popping up as a solution to that, but now those are so plentiful that it's hard to know exactly what to watch. We've basically entered a new era of streaming content. More amazing original content is being produced than ever before, but there's also so much stuff that's just not good. So this week, Wired has published a series that's all about video streaming, the algorithms, the good-bad reality TV, and why movie watching is broken. Angela and Kate, you both helped produce this package of stories. So is streaming broken? And if so, what broke it? Oh, boy. I think streaming is, uh, is it fair to say it's fractured, if not totally broken? Like, I feel like it's, you know, it kind of grew too fast for its own good. You know, like all of a sudden Netflix took off and everybody kind of saw, you know, a cash cow and all the like networks and studios that had been basically like, you know, leasing their stuff to Netflix realized, oh, we could just make our own thing and keep everybody there. And so then we have, you know, HBO Max and Disney Plus and, um, and then you have like folks like Apple, you know, getting in and trying to basically start something from the ground up. And it kind of just like created almost too much too fast. And we're getting to the place where, from my experience, like, if I add up all of the streaming services that I subscribe to, it is a cable package, right? Like it is just like anything else. So I don't broke it. It just needs a lot of tweaks and a lot of like bolt tightening, I think. Something to to kind of bring everything online. Kate, what do you think? Yeah. So I don't want to go and say it's totally broken because if I go to my Apple TV, I can select one of like 
20 billion shows and watch it. And in that sense, it's working. But like, I think that streaming broke our TV watching culture, if that makes sense. Like it's, as you were saying, it's totally fractured now. We don't have this communal TV watching experience that we once had. Or when when that happens, it's few and far between. Like the Harry and Meghan Oprah special. I was thinking back about like when the moment I knew that this whole system is really screwed up was. And I think it was, I was trying to figure out how to watch that. And like in the past, I would have just been able to turn on my television. And instead I was like Googling Harry, Meghan, Oprah, how? And like, (laughs) it just seems like there should be a better way. Um, So yeah, I think that streaming has, has definitely entered us into a new era of television watching. Like peak TV is dead. We're now in the too much TV era and we're going to have to make some changes, I think, at some point, because we can't keep going like this. Like, I can't buy another streaming service. I just cannot for my <laughs> own, my bank account's sake, my my sense of sanity's sake. Like, it, it, it needs to end. Yeah, another streaming service in this economy. It's kind of crazy <laughs> to think about. And where it used to be, what time is the Super Bowl was like the, the search. Now I do the same thing as UK. I'm like, where to stream? Which service has... X. Mike, what do you make of all this? Well, it feels like it all grew way too fast, I think, from like a technical standpoint, like, you know, the cultural standpoint, like none of us were ready for just way too much stuff all the time because now we're all just sort of confused, wondering what to watch next. But I think from like a technical standpoint, it it really did grow too fast. And you can see that with the app experience. I think I'm not alone in saying that like, I watch a lot of television and I spend a lot of time in the various apps for the big services like Hulu and HBO and Netflix, and almost all of them have universally terrible user experiences. Search is completely broken, uh, you know, especially across various platforms. Uh, Like like you said, you know, I have to also rely on like external web searches just to find things that I'm then going to search for on my television because I have to know which app to go into to search. And yes, there are some tools on like Roku that'll search everything, but even those are bad. But you know, I also have like sound problems. There's buffering problems that are completely unrelated to my internet connection. Uh, There's like loud pops and, you know, syncing issues and a lot of things that just feel like, you know, we should be technologically advanced, like the infrastructure should be able to handle it at this point, but it's just everything feels kind of thrown out there and thrown together to me. Granted, I still manage to like watch a lot of television and have no problems, but it's sort of like your smartphone. Like when it doesn't work 5% of the time, it's just totally maddening. You know, you expect it to work perfectly all the time. You know, when you guys were talking about how HBO Max is both of your chosen streaming service, it's also mine. I think as far as what they're offering like content wise, it's unbeatable, Mm. but it has the most messed up user interface, like almost imaginable. I remember I was trying to watch the finale of Mayor of Easttown. And instead of playing Mayor of Easttown, it just kept playing a a completely random episode of the Big Bang Theory. And this (laughs) is like a, this is that, that actually had risen to the level of appointment TV where there was people watching it as it aired and it was this exciting big thing and I was excited to experience it communally and watch it live and then instead I was watching like the Big Bang people arguing about Star Trek and I was like so enraged and so confused about how HBO had 
excelled in getting the right shows and then totally failed in how to show them to us. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I fall asleep a lot while I'm streaming stuff at night. And so an episode will just keep going. And then when I go back into the app the following night or on the weekend, I'm looking to catch up on the thing that has already streamed. And it just the app just casts you into like the next thing. And you sort of have to back out of like two menus to get back to the thing where you've got the drop down of season one, season two, season, and then go to the top drop down yeah. again and find the thing. It's so frustrating. It sounds like what we're describing are like, there are at least four layers to the problem here, right? Our colleague Jason Parham also contributed to this package, and he wrote that according to an analysis done by Vulture on recent programming, streaming platforms and cable networks rolled out more than 50 new and returning high-profile series over just 10 weeks. Like, that's a lot. And so we've got this, that's just one example, like this glut of content. Then we've got the interface layer that we're describing, where the UIs feel broken. Then we've got our own kind of capacity to just consume things or search for things. And then I think that there's this other layer of incentive structures where all of these services want us to subscribe. They know that we have like limited cycles and eyeballs and, and wallets. And so they're, they're throwing everything they can at the services to try to keep us subscribing month to month instead of just having us say like, oh, I binge watched this thing and now I'm going to unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. It's such a wild feedback loop, right? Because like, you know, in Kate's brilliant piece about sort of reality TV, she gets into this where it's like, we have a reality show for literally everything. And it's easy to see why streamers make them, right? Because they are a lot cheaper than scripted television, right? And so like, you end up with, it's not even that it's like lowest common denominator necessarily, but it's just like, for every prestige show, there's like 30 selling sunsets. And I actually like selling sunset, but you know, like there's only like so much of it. There's a whole other sort of, if I could give a sub layer to Lauren, your layers of just like what streaming is also doing to creativity and creative output. Like, I think the promise of streaming many years ago was that like, you know, Amazon could come to Sundance and bring $50 million and actually get a lot of independent films that normally would only play art houses into homes, right? Like, that's a great idea. But the problem is, for them, any studio to, or any streaming service to have that $50 million, they have to keep people subscribed to like, you know, countless reality shows and comedy specials and stuff like that, which are like, some of them are fine, but like, it really, I don't know, it kind of disincentivizes some things and re-incentivizes others in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah, because the 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 determination of whether or not something is a hit or not is immediate and it's not shared with the public. So it's sort of everything's hidden behind this curtain. Like we don't really know if the show is a success. I like it. I don't know if 10 million other people like it or 10 other people like it. Speaking of which, I was kind of hoping that we could shower a little bit of love on Hulu. I feel like Hulu is the the one that nobody really talks about in positive terms. I think Hulu's original programming is great, and they've got a bunch of stuff that's on network television. Do y'all watch Hulu? I do watch Hulu. I use um, – oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I use a friend's login. Nah, <laughs> we all do. I, I, does Uh-oh. everybody? Yeah. But what's funny about Hulu is Hulu is actually a joint venture between some of the major networks and conglomerates, right? Yeah. So it's like – it's not this little upstart. It's actually got a lot of uh, – powerful content and uh, decision-making behind it. And I, I agree with you. It's it's one of the better experiences. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully you've all continued to <clears throat> stream this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to stop our ranting and we're going to talk a little bit about the future of video streaming.
If technology is the problem, then maybe it's the solution? Okay, so in the first half of the show, we talked about how streaming services are great, but they're kind of a bloated, frustrating mess. And we're hopeful that they might get better in the future. If not, our only advice is really just to log off forever and go outside. But in the meantime, Angela, Kate, Give us a sense of what the future of streaming media might look like. Is it more curated, more interactive, more social, or should we just log off forever? So my personal hope is that we see more bundling. We're already starting to see it. For example, Hulu, one of the good things about Hulu is you can bundle it together with Disney. There's a few others. You can do add-ons with Showtime and also add-ons with HBO if you didn't want to buy HBO Plus separately. I think that the streamers are going to move towards this just because I think we are eventually going to see subscription fatigue. At least, I really hope so, because again, I cannot buy any any more of these standalone services. So I think that uh, if we move towards bundling, that and, and like giving people the option to sort of pick a few different services a la carte and, and put them together. That would be great. That would be a solution to some of our woes. I also think with the interface situation, I'm very hopeful that that will get sorted out just because that seems like the simplest issue to fix. Like there's no reason why HBO should be showing me Big Bang Theory like ever. And, and I, I'm optimistic <laughs> that that'll get sorted. And I'm optimistic that bundling will happen. Those are the two things that I'm like uh, pretty, pretty rosy, rosy about, pretty bullish on. I just found out the difference between a bull market and a bear market. Now I'm trying to use bullish and bearish. And oh, yeah. Don't mind me. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are my two like optimistic predictions. Angela, do you have any less optimistic predictions? <laughs> Maybe it's a pessimistic pessimistic with a little bit of silver lining. I don't know. I think like in addition to the sort of bundling, I think that like a lot of streaming services are going to have to pare down the sort of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks method. You know, Netflix had a bad first quarter, lost a lot of subscribers this year and has gone through, you know, some layoffs and like have made cuts in significant departments. And so I feel like that, that will kind of determine what comes out of it, out of it. And to, you know, my, thing I was saying earlier about the, you know, funding things to make other things, you know, one of the things that came out in the reporting around that was that they were really going to curtail how much they were going to give to big prestige directors to make these sort of like Irishman style films. So, you know, that could help in terms of like the glut of things that we have to look at, but it also means that we don't get the good stuff and we get a lot more of the like meh stuff. But we're kind of have to think, I think, see how that sort of shakes out. The other thing in terms of like the bundling, you know, I do think that we're kind of, you know, it's now Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, or, you know, ABC, CBS, and NBC. Like we just have a different big three now. Like I wrote about this a while back. And one of the things that came out of that reporting that was so interesting to me and has always stuck with me was that an analyst I talked to said that like, what you might end up seeing is um, streaming services basically kind of acquiring smaller studios, acquiring independent studios. Like they, you know, they, I don't know if they name names, but one of the things that kind of came to mind for me was like Apple acquiring like A24, right? Like a studio that has a lot of success with independent films. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of becomes, you know, R&D by M&A, right? Like you just sort of, buy your way into having all of the content that you need. And I think that, I don't know that we'll see a ton of that, but I still think that like 
all the pieces are settling on this and it'll be a while until we get um, into a, a state of like what streaming will be, you know, for a long stretch of time. And just to be a downer for a second, since I gave you guys two optimistic predictions. Bullish. I, you were bullish. So yeah, I was bullish. Now I'm going to be bearish. Okay. Um, so this week I wrote about what streaming has done to reality television and basically was arguing that it made it largely worse. Although there are, there are still a lot of gems, diamonds in the rough, but like, as Angela was saying, there's now so many reality shows because they're cheaper to produce. It's just this like swamp of nonsense. And I do worry that we're going to get way a much bigger swamp with less gems as we go forward because they are pulling back on giving like auteurs money and they're going to be maybe still letting that faucet go go forth for the junk. I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little worried that we're going to live in a world where there's like, you know how Squid Game, there's like the Squid Game reality show is happening now? Yeah. Um, I'm worried that we're going to have like 16 spinoffs of the Squid Game reality show and not like another new Squid Game because they're going to be giving money to these like cheap to make but unoriginal reality concepts instead of actually good scripted content. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say it, it feels like we've already passed some kind of Turing test with reality TV where like the average watcher deep down knows it's not real, but it comes so close to mimicking real human emotions that we choose to sort of believe it's real <laughs> when it's actually just ludicrous. Mm -hmm. The lines between scripted and reality have just become increasingly blurred. Yeah. For a long time, I think. Yes. Yeah. It's It's been this long slide towards everything being feeling more like a reality TV show. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, one other thing that I think is going to happen is that we're going to see more ad supported tiers, like both fortunately and unfortunately, like right. fortunately, because it opens up uh, services to people who may not be able to afford a subscription and it brings in revenue for people for the streaming services to make better original content. But also, unfortunately, because it's kind of lousy, like I haven't watched an ad in years you know, just because that's the way that it is now. You don't have to have ads anymore. You can just pay money and they go away. So um, there will probably be some things that will just have ads and like that's the only way to watch it. But also there will probably be, you know, ad tiers in all of the big streaming services, right? Like Netflix. Netflix has said it plans to do that. Yes. And I think everybody's going to do that within a couple of years. Maybe not HBO, but the other stuff on HBO, like Warrior. You'll probably be an ad-supported version of the show Warrior. <laughs> we haven't talked about sports yet. That's the big thing that everybody points to is like the big hole in streaming, you know, because it is appointment television and streaming is mostly not. But um, Apple is showing Major League Baseball games on Friday nights, and mm -hmm. it would not surprise me to see them start showing Major League Baseball games on Sunday nights and then mm -hmm. buying all of the Major League streaming rights so that you just – Subscribe to Apple TV Plus and you just watch baseball games. Right. You know? They're doing that with soccer, right? Yeah. They're going to start doing it with with more sports, I think. Well, and Hulu has live sports because obviously Hulu is owned by Disney and Disney owns ESPN, right? Yeah. And like, so, you know, like they're able to bundle all those sorts of things together. Well, I mean, there's also ESPN Plus, which you can get in the bundle with Hulu and Disney. And mm -hmm. they are, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are in streaming are trying to figure out the the live sports thing. It also like strangely while you were talking about that, Mike reminded me of like the January 6th hearings, which like, again, is not related to streaming per se, but like, you know, when all those reports came out a couple weeks ago about how like 
they were producing the hearings for primetime television in a way that like we kind of hadn't seen since Watergate. You know, I mean, like there was like sort of an undercurrent that of like trying to make something of national and international importance, like make you not watch Squid Game, right? Like, you know, like that there, like there needed to be these production values to like get people to tune into something that normally would have just been on every or all three broadcast networks and it would have been the only thing you could have watched. Yeah. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine tweeted, uh, when is prime time? Is it whenever I turn on Netflix or what? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I watched it on YouTube, which was great. Um, I'm a little bit curious about the future of interactive TV watching because we saw Netflix experiment with that with Bandersnatch. And um, a few years ago, I was at a conference and I remember like chasing Eddie Q down a hallway at the conference and being like, what's the future of Apple TV? And he referenced something about maybe someday using the Apple TV to like vote or play games or do polling and things like that. I don't think that ever really came to fruition. I'm not sure there's that much of an appetite for it. But what do you all think about the bandersnatchification of TV? Is it going to be that much more interactive? I think there might be some like slide together or like blending together of TV and gaming. Like that's where I could see it happening is maybe gaming becoming even more narrative than it already is. Like to be, I didn't, I didn't watch or I don't even know what you say, participate in the bandersnatch. Like I didn't play, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't interact with the Bandersnatch content, so I don't know even how that all worked. It but... was like a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. Like, you got okay. to a certain point in the story, and then you made a decision about what you think should happen next, and then you follow that timeline to the end. Yeah. But, I mean, it seems to me, considering the enormous appetite for gaming and the fact that it's extremely popular with younger generations, that uh, the streamers would be foolish not to look into, like, opportunities to to merge with the gaming world and that would be interactive entertainment. Yeah, we ran a piece of, a while back about Netflix has Battle Kitty, which is like an animated series that's also sort of it's more like gamey than like a choose your own adventure, but like the whole thing is that it's for like little kids, right? And like I think that like for parents that'll be huge because kids watch a lot of YouTube for entertainment and education and you know things like that and so to have a show like Battle Kitty kind of does both those things because it's very entertaining. It's a, you know, it's an animated show. It's for kids, but it also gives them something to interact with and keep them occupied, which in the Dark Lord version of this is what Netflix really wants, right? Um, you know, so like there are kind of, I think there are some things like that, but I don't know that like interactive streaming is going to like take over in any sort of huge way. I think we'll see a lot of experiments with stuff like that. But I mean, the weird thing about, streaming is that or tv in general is that it's somewhat of a passive thing but like you know our colleague jason k wrote a piece about how like we don't watch movies like we don't just sit and watch a two-hour movie anymore we're like we turn it on and then we pause it for 15 minutes and call our mom and then we look at tiktok and you know like everything's sort of broken up and so like if you could get interactive tv to take off that way it would be huge because like right now we don't focus enough on what we're watching to interact with it Yeah, you know, Angela, um, I remember when I was reading Jason's story, it kept occurring to me that like almost nobody that I know, and at least not in my house, we don't watch television without our phone in our hands. And it's uh, it's the thing that I think if somebody could unlock that and figure out how to make that work, it could be really powerful. Like there is an app that you interact with while you're watching the show that deals with 
something that's happening. You know, it would have to be asynchronous. So it would have to be something that works no matter when you're watching it. It wouldn't be like hanging out on Twitter during a basketball game or something, right? Uh, it would have to be something that actually changes the content or has some sort of effect on what's happening on screen as you're using your phone. Of course, like if somebody does unlock that and it becomes a sensation, then we're going to see a lot of people doing that, which could mean that like the only way to experience the hot new cultural trend is to download an app onto your phone and then watch the show while you're holding your phone, which is just sort of like a shift away from the very passive viewing experience, which may not be something that anybody is looking forward to or may not be something that I am looking forward to. But, you know, there is a possible future where like the phone becomes integral to the television watching experience. And but you, uh, I mean, yeah. you're talking about something that is in existence because this is describing like I'm just thinking about the Oscars and like I was absolutely glued to Twitter on my phone when that slap happened. Like Twitter is has sort of like nailed this in a way with with appointment viewing. So it's like, can the streamers maybe bring back appointment viewing a little bit more? Like, I know some of them are moving away from batch drops into standalones because they're like trying to rebuild that everybody watches it together moment. But like, I think that future you're describing is here. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. want to download a separate app. I, I'm, I'm going on tw twitter.com. For in order for Twitter to be fun mm -hmm. to hang out at while you're watching something, you have to be watching it at the same time as everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking the way to really make it something that is like for hundreds of millions of people instead of just tens of millions of people is to make it work in a way asynchronously. So whatever you're like doing on your phone is is directly tied to the show no matter when you're watching it right and it's not just yeah. conversation it could be something else but like i agree with you like you know twitter completely changed baseball for me for example right uh like i can't watch a baseball game without being on twitter it's just part of the experience <laughs> i can't uncouple them i have a feeling that when elon musk takes over twitter he's going to uh he's going to do all the right things and make this a totally integrated experience <sighs> pleasant for all right i had forgotten that was happening and you yeah, oh, yeah for sure. sorry it's gonna, sorry. gonna be great gonna be it's great. all gonna be great <laughs> can't see what could go wrong <laughs> what could possibly go wrong <laughs> on that note let's take another break and we'll come back with our recommendations Kate, let's start with you. What's your recommendation for our loyal listeners this week? So I'm going to recommend a podcast on this podcast just because I feel like people listening to this podcast probably like podcasts. The podcast I'm going to recommend is pretty different, though. It's called Heidi World. Um, it's available on, I think it might be a Spotify exclusive. I've been listening to it on Spotify. I don't know about that. Anyways, you can definitely listen to it on Spotify. Maybe you can listen to it elsewhere. But it's from this writer and now podcaster that I really love, Molly Lambert. And it's a, a narrative look inside the world of Hollywood Madame Heidi Fleiss. And uh, I really like the way that Molly produced it. The, she got a bunch of uh, people to do voice acting to sort of make it a very like immersive narrative experience. And it's just a lot of fun. If you like Hollywood history, or anything like remotely sleazy, I think you will enjoy it. <laughs> remotely sleazy. That's our jam. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's funny. Earlier, you guys were throwing shade at Selling Sunset. And I was like, 
I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that recommendation, Kate. Angela, what's your recommendation this week? Well, because we've been talking about streaming and the varying qualities of it, I'm going to recommend something that I actually kind of don't love, but haven't been able to stop watching, which is this show on Netflix called First Kill. Um, and I will read you the headline from the Variety Review to give you a summation of how I feel about this show, which says, Netflix's first kill is a tired take on teens, lesbians, vampires, and teen lesbian vampires. <laughs> TV review. It's a, it's based on like a V. Schwab, like young adult novel, um, or maybe even young adult series. And like, I mean, it is like, the worst of CW in a blender, but it's just like, and CW was great. That was the thing. Um, but yeah, it's like this, the, uh, a teen vampire falls in love with a teen hunter and drama ensues, but like the, the writing is not great and everybody is kind of flat and giving no emotion. And, um, <laughs> I am on episode six. So. <laughs> It does not surprise me at all that that that's your new jam. That yeah, it's so not. It is not good, but like making fun of it in the group chat is. So yep. This is my. This is this is how we. This is how we ended up here. Is me watching crap like this. <laughs> <laughs> so good, Angela. Thank you for that gem, Mike. What's your recommendation this week? I am going to recommend justwatch.com. Earlier, I mentioned that I have to go uh, onto my phone, onto a website to find out what's playing where. And the service I use for that is justwatch.com. It's a free service. You can search for a title or an actor or a director or anything, and it'll tell you what is playing where, whether it's free, how much it costs if it's not. And it also lists what's popular uh, and what's new. So you can see what things have just dropped on streaming, like old movies that are coming back, movies that went from one service to another. It really helps you make sense of all of that. And it's absolutely the easiest way that I've found to find the weird Pedro Almodovar movie from the 90s that I really want to watch tonight because I was thinking about it. Where is it playing? Oh, it's playing there and it's $4. So it's awesome. The other thing that I really like about it is that it's available in multiple countries. So you don't have to get stuck in the United States version or the UK version of Just Watch. You can go see what's popular in India. You can go see what's popular in Argentina or Brazil. You can go see what's really popular in Japan. And if that show is on Netflix, then you can almost certainly watch it in the United States or wherever you live because Netflix is a global company. And you know that brings me to another point, which is the fact that people who say that there's nothing good on Netflix anymore are just displaying their incredible lack of imagination and curiosity because all of the best stuff on Netflix right now is a foreign show. It's something from Europe, it's something from Asia, or it's something from Central or South America. So I use Just Watch not only to find the thing that I want, but also to discover things that are not popular in this country. So hard recommendation for that. Free service. Even better than the Criterion Channel. Criterion Channel is $100 a year and... Netflix, you probably already subscribe to. So yeah, I would say for most people, Just Watch is a better avenue to the uh, the undiscovered gems out there. Excellent recommendation. You've, you've really, really sold me on this. Like I'm p- putting in my favorites box immediately. Oh yeah, I have bookmark. <laughs> I also have a tab open on my phone all the time. The only tab I have open all the time is Just Watch and maybe our traffic leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, what's your recommendation for us? My recommendation this week is a recommendation from you. 
Ooh. Yeah. So despite all the algorithms at work in our streaming services, I still think the best recommendations come from family and friends. For example, I never would have watched Selling Sunset no matter how many times Netflix showed me the thumbnail if it weren't for a friend saying, you really need to watch Selling Sunset. But that was a previous era. I'm no longer watching it. Okay. My actual recommendation <laughs> this week. Mike, a couple of weeks ago, you said, have you seen the New York Times documentary on Elon Musk and Tesla Autopilot? And I finally watched it last weekend on Hulu, and it was as good as you said it would be. It is an examination by the New York Times, and they partnered with FX, but it's streaming on Hulu. Examination by New York Times reporters into some of the claims that Elon Musk has made over the years about uh, Tesla's autopilot feature, which is not fully autonomous, but at times it has been suggested as such that it could be fully autonomous and someone could take their hands totally off the wheel and or, you know, check emails while they're driving or whatnot. It dives into um, some of the fatal crashes and one in particular that happened to occur when folks were driving Teslas and using autopilot mode. And it's just a very, it's a it's a really good, super interesting uh, examination of, uh, of not only this feature, but the way that Elon Musk presents it. And yours truly has a cameo in it. You do have a cameo so, in it. It was so funny. I was watching, and when I was working at Recode, we had Elon Musk at Code Conference, which was our annual conference, like at least a couple of times. And so there was this part of the documentary where they were cutting to Code Conference, and Elon Musk was on stage, and he was being interviewed by you know the infamous uh, Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg. And um, and I was thinking, I was at that. I was there that year i was like right there in the crowd and sure they like cut to the crowd and there i am and i'm making like such a face at elon musk that's rjf right resting journalist face yeah i like to call it rbf but i like rjf too yeah, yeah. and um so i i screen grabbed it and took a photo of it and i was like this is qu quite funny but <laughs> but you should not watch it for my rbf or rjf you should watch it because it's a really interesting mini documentary i'm glad you liked it yeah, thanks. So thanks for the recommendation, pal. You are welcome. Mike.ai. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Snack fight AI. And give it up for Hulu. And give it up for Hulu. Um, all right. Well, Kate, Angela, thank you so much for joining us this week. This has been really fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of our listeners for listening. We know that we took time away from your streaming media subscription. So we appreciate it. If you <laughs> or have maybe any... not. Maybe you were listening while you were watching something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, you can do two things at once. Or seven. If you have any feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just add another thing to your list. Uh, check the show notes. We'll include our handles there. Our producer is Boone Ashworth, who I like to call Charlie Chip Black, named after the producer on the morning show on Apple TV Plus, because we just wanted to get a little bit more meta. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. <laughs> it's a very niche reference. <laughs>Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.